Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to intriguing comedy promoters, comedians and clowns, actors from across the entertainment world. I give unique insights, have a conversation that needs to be had in entertainment and will help comedians like you and me chase the comedy, the laughs on every way we want to do it and find our own niche. Now today's guest is... Have you seen Tony Soprano from The Sopranos? <laughs> this guy is it. He has a name like James Bond. He, he is a man who has traversed the worlds of both comedy promoting and being a professional comedian like Robin Perkins. But he's done it across the country and he's based down the South Coast. So he has his own yacht. <laughs> <laughs> And his name is James Bond, but his name is like Alderson, a bit like um, like James Corden, but much cooler. And yeah. it sounds like a beer. <laughs> it's also a device that I use to try and remember people's names. I link their first name to someone famous. Uh, welcome, James Alderson. Well, thank you, Marvin. <laughs> What an intro. That's very kind of you, mate. I, uh, I've never looked at myself like that, but from now on, that's it. That's what's going to get me up in the morning. <laughs> You're going to say that before you go on stage. Oh, no, I'm just going to have it as a loop playing on my alarm clock. That's, that Your intro is going to get me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> it's five pounds, James. <laughs> <laughs> One-off payment, I'm fine with. Every morning, I'm not too sure if I could cover that, Marvin, but thank you. <laughs> but it's... Uh... You've been on a few podcasts, haven't you? You've been in Simon's, now you've been in the Community's Podcast, Community's yeah, Paradise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, not many. Um, I've never, never really asked that much, but um, um, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. I think it's a great, people are finding it a great way to sort of while away the hours when they're driving to gigs. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Far too much travelling in this game. It's <laughs> one of the things that I, I, had, I had a strange thing happen a while ago. And let me know what your thoughts are. But I, I, I went to a gig which wasn't very well run. It was an open mic gig a while ago. I think around May, no, no, April. And it was, um, yeah, the the it was st- started late. There was no atmosphere at the start. It was very mm. dead. There was about mm. four people there. The MC bombed with ten minutes of material, and then he bombed with ten minutes of crowd work. The first oh, act tried to restore the room, but didn't succeed. Then the person who was running and comes in, comes in with a notebook and just looks at that, doesn't look at the audience, and then does terribly. Then the next act gets introduced does terribly. And I come in in a Zora costume and bomb, and it seemed to be like I put the nail in the coffin and then the audience <laughs> left. <laughs> what a night. <laughs> oh, apparently, from other comics, it got a lot better afterwards when they just come. Oh. Okay, well, I'm pre- on successive nights afterwards, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe you just took a bullet, Marvin. I wouldn't worry about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we'll put it down to. We'll just put it in the autobiography, and, and that was one of those uh, experiences. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing what people can... What, what can affect an audience is amazing, you know. In the early days, I remember, you know, someone winning a jackpot on the fruit machine in the corner of the bar or someone making one of those noisy coffee machine, you know, uh, coffees uh, halfway through a setup to a punchline. You know, those early gigs where you're in a mixed environment that isn't really perfect for a comedy night and anything 
could affect it, anything at all. Um, I've found recently a few gigs where I've popped up and there's no music playing before the show starts. And you just think, wow, people are just going to whisper to each other or talk really quietly or just feel awkward. You need a vibe going, don't you? So it could be something as simple as that that just really doesn't set people up for a night of laughs. So, yeah, who knows? But uh, the more you do it, the more you realise that equation that scientific equation you need to get right to get the audience up for it but uh yeah yeah what was that was there music playing before you before the show that night no nah there you go <laughs> it's like a library isn't it? it makes people feel very awkward especially if it's a small crowd in a small room yeah because people people don't like the attention to be on them yeah they what if there's just four of them they feel like oh yeah oh yeah I mean, I, I ran a gig on Friday night and <clears throat> no Saturday night, and the and the audience were difficult, which I don't normally experience. I don't know, I'm not, I don't normally find with my gigs the crowd. You know, they're loyal, they're regulars, and it it was a new room, and the spotlight was very focused on the stage, and we couldn't work it out. And I was looking at it with my tech guy, thinking, I don't know what's I don't know what's happening here because all the lights are off. Um, the bar lights are off, everything's off, it's focused, there's, we've had great music, good setup, everyone's happy. And then we realised the room is white and <clears throat> the walls are white, ceiling's white, everything's white. And the spotlight, whilst focused on the stage really specifically, there was it was lighting up the room. Um, and obviously not a lot I could do about that on the night, but we're going to have to get a lot more focused um, spot for the stage. But it made people feel as you say, just very focused on very exposed. Just like having no music before a gig, you know, everything feels like the focus is on them. So you've got to, you've got to somehow make them feel totally detached <laughs> from the, you know, the focus of, of the night um, so that they can just relax and enjoy what they're watching. But uh, yeah, that's, I still come across things now where I just think, oh, I've got to fix that next time just to make it a bit easier for the comics. Hmm. And it's, People often say with comedy gigs that the hardest bit about promo running a gig is promoting it. Do you, is that what's it called like a Chinese whisper that's like through popular belief, or would you say there is some truth to that? <clears throat> I think it's hard to get traction at the beginning when you start it off, when you launch a comedy night to get to build that traction to spread the word to get the word out in the local community and to gain people's trust that is exhausting <clears throat> such hard work you know from zero to 100 miles an hour you've got to you can't have that first gig bomb because then you've got a lot of hard work and then you've got to keep the momentum going for the first few shows once you've got that formula right off the bat right from the beginning it's great you know, you hit a few bumps in the road at the moment. I'm finding ticket sales tough because it's very sunny where we are down on you know the uh, near the equator. And um, when it's half term, we've had 43 bank holidays. You know, it's the parents aren't buying the tickets like they normally do. But um, we've got a formula where you know of how we set up a gig, how we get the word spread. Um, but that is a lot of effort goes into those first two or three gigs in a ven new venue to get it moving. Um, but once you 
get it going it's like getting a huge rock moving you know once you get it <laughs> once you get it moving a little bit then you feel sometimes the gradients going in your favor so it's it's uh yeah it is so rewarding though mate so rewarding more personally i find it more rewarding particularly because i host all the gigs as well and i love emceeing i i find it much more rewarding to see all the crowd turn up and then to have a great night you know say hello to me i have a good time on stage and they're all so appreciative at the end of the night i find that much more rewarding than doing 20 minutes and driving home for three hours on my own <laughs> it could be quite a quite a lonely experience but uh you get more of a buzz having the whole night to sort of reward you for your efforts you know is does is that in sort of what you said there has gotten to my mindset in terms of with a lot of comics trying to build a social media following that I feel that that's the same sort of thing. Yeah. And I feel also in terms of perhaps going up in the circuit, you've got to build trust with different promoters and going up and up being bankable and yeah. then getting all the paid spots. But Yeah, yeah, it's definitely right. It's definitely parallels there. You definitely, I mean, you've got to do it in everything in life, I guess, um, whether it's a you know new relationship or a, a new mate or whatever. You've got to get a lot of effort, haven't you? And, and, and you know, just try your best and keep, keep things moving. But, um, yeah, I think as a comic yeah you've got to get your get the word out and just be bulletproof every single time um because that one time you're not word gets out so you don't want to you don't want a crappy gig either at your new venue on you know the first gig might be brilliant the second one if that's a dead duck the third gig is going to be almost impossible to sell tickets for so yeah you just gotta keep hitting keep hitting and uh yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember Rudy Liquid. I did my one of my first tryouts at the Glee. Uh, I think it was Oxford, and um, I did great. I was buzzing. I was so relieved. And uh, the other acts obviously put me in the shadow. But for how? But because they were pro, you know, long term um, pro great acts. But for me, I felt I had a brilliant gig. Rudy was like, "Yeah, it was great, but you got to smash it every time, mate." And that really, that really hurt because. You want to, you want to take the compliment. You want to feel excited that you've had a great gig, and clearly, you know, everyone enjoyed it. I had a great time, but then to have that right off the bat, Rudy saying, "You got to smash it every time, mate." I just thought, "Oh, really? Have I? Oh no!" Because <laughs> you don't realise in the early months of doing it that that's what's expected of you to really make it. To re to you know, yes, you're going to have some flat flat ones, but to really make your mark in those early days you've got to certainly when you've been going a few months and you've got the material and you're starting to maybe get some paid middle spots or some 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 paid gigs from time to time you've got to really really make a dent on things and, and earn your spot on the stage is so you you run so you run a sort of a wide variety of different gigs so you run like <clears throat> pub rooms you run in big theaters and like what what's your experience in approaching all these gigs wow um i don't run i i ha, I, t I try not to run pub rooms unless it's a separate a separate function room and even then not so much i think i think i mean my general hope is to try and make it look like a proper comedy club do you know what i mean i don't want like you touched on before we before we started you know i don't want it to feel like it's just a random some chairs in a 
in a corner somewhere. I want it to feel special for everybody to come and feel like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm deluded really is what I'm saying. I want people to think that this is a bespoke, wonderful comedy club that I've, that's mine, you know, that's my own venue and everything. Um, and that's, it's, it's the illusion. You've got to try and make the punters feel like they're coming to something that is bespoke and put together with care and um, that everything just works. The seating, the lighting, the sound, the acts are great. The welcome they receive from the staff at the front door it's all just got to feel like it's your own little comedy store and uh, and that's that's my aim i just want to we'd all i think all promoters would love their own bespoke a bit like hot water did you know they were at the, they were at the um where were they at the holiday Inn? i think they were in liverpool originally i did the gig a few times there and then they've got their own wonderful empire now and we'd all if we had the guts and the energy um want to do that as promoters but in the meantime we all or I definitely want to have a venue and a space that makes the audience arrive and think oh this is actually feels like a comedy club not some chairs and a portable PA and a you know a table lamp pointing at this <laughs> at the comedian <laughs> and a fruit machine just going off in the corner um you just gotta yeah just cover all your bases and make sure that the audience feel they're really something special. With uh, doing it in a pub room, is are the mar I mean, the margins are obviously a lot tighter. But I mean, with the theatre, there's also the big added cost. I mean, when I've approached theatres, they often they always charge a big, quite a big amount. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's a split usually, so they'll want a seventy thirty or seventy five twenty five split. Obviously, obviously in your favour, but it's once they take off the ticket levies and the we're trying to save the building levy and the help the Deirdre who used to be an usher here levy and all these deductions. You know, it can be pretty costly for to to put on in a theatre. And you, if you find these days, I'm loving finding village halls where there's not much to do in the. Yeah, it's a small town or a big village and the community absolutely love it and if you find a village hall that wants 150 200 pounds to hire a 150 seater village hall a lot of these places have got great staging great tech some spotlights already a bar area um it can be you know it can be a real viable option and i know more and more people are doing that since covid more and more people are starting up local little community comedy nights because the locals absolutely take to it they take to it as if it's that well because it's their own it's their own community comedy club so it's uh, it's a lot more viable financially as well so yeah with, with the one of the things is people are creatures of habit uh, that's one thing that like spiky mike put to me and he with it being a monthly night one of the things i found running <clears throat> with some of the shows that i run they i found that they they will treat it like they'll come every now and then, but they 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 won't come as often. Whilst when I made it weekly, it became like a habit, and they came back quite regularly. Okay. What what would you say is like the ben cost and benefits of running like a weekly or monthly show? Oh dear. I mean, I've never run a weekly show because I'm scared that you will saturate people's desire to laugh. <laughs> I worry that you know it's uh it's a big it's a big investment up front you know you're 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 putting your money down every week in the hope that that slightly limited audience you've got within a 
a mile radius or wherever if you, if you put the, the gig on are definitely going to come back every single time and if they don't it means that you've got to invest more and more in your marketing to spread the net to spread your marketing mix if you like to catch more and more and more people um that's the risk if you do it monthly then you're giving yourself more time to get word out you know um and what how i start a gig usually is i'll start a gig and put it on every two or three months in a venue and then increase it to every two months then every month and that's worked for me for over the last 11 years with all my gigs just leave them always wanting more leave the audience wanting oh is it another two months to the next one and it sells out and it creates that demand it creates that interest within the community that oh no the next one sold out when is it august oh Christ, okay, I'll have to get one for October then. And then before you know it, within a year, you're putting them together a month, every month, and the audience aren't surprised because they're thinking, well, they sold out every time last year, didn't they? So you, you, you've always got to sort of leave that desire from the audience because if you chuck too much at it, um, it's like me with cake. You know, I just I'll, I'll give up after a while, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> if you chuck too much cake at me, I eventually will give in. Um, that hasn't come yet, but um, I will. And what's one thing that I've... It, I spoke to a lot, like, a lot of people were scared of venues closing down after, <clears throat> because of, like, closing down after COVID. Yeah. What would you feel, how have you had to change, like, being a comedian or being a comedy part since, since COVID? Um, I found, I mean, to be actually honest, I found it easier, easier to build comedy nights since I found the desire for audiences to go out and laugh easier. I found venues, especially going down the routes of community centers and village halls more than theaters per se, although I do have a few, I found them easier to work with and more keen to work with me. There's that hunger from venues and audiences i think more than there was before the pandemic um obviously costs have gone up and initially a year or so ago i didn't feel that i agreed that costs had gone up but certainly in the last three months four months venues have started really putting the prices up so i mean it's i guess overall yeah i mean i'm i i it's I, i'm there i haven't experienced much of a struggle with venues at the moment um i haven't sensed that they're struggling there's one venue where i had a regular new material night that i put on and they've gone just for weekend nights now they're not open during the week but that's probably the only time i've sensed that venues are really having an issue so yeah it's uh, i think it's all good um, as far as i can tell and uh, as long as you can sell it out and give them the income they want not only from bums on seats but at the bar you know, wet sales and food sales or whatever else they've got going on there at the venue, then everybody will be happy, I think. Yeah. It's... What, what, so you, do you still gig sort of like regularly or are you like full-time promoter being MC? Well, I mean, it's changed. It has changed over the last sort of six months because since COVID, I've started about another, I don't know, 15 15 17 clubs <clears throat> and again they're only monthly or bi-monthly there's nothing too staggering about it but i've but they're all sort of between 100 and 400 seaters and they're all most months so 
uh, it does take up a lot of my time, but I do do sporadic gigs for other people and corporates and, and hosting rewards bits and bobs and things like we all do um, from time to time, the weird and wonderful <laughs> things that we get asked to do. So, yeah, I, I, I do want to still do that sporadically, but I'll be honest, I don't do it much now. Um, but I do love running the gigs and hosting them. You know, it, it gives uh, it gives me the assurance that it's going to be a nice, it's going to be a good night when you've got total control of everything. Um, there's no risk in doing that seven-hour round trip for an awful gig to 150 stags and hens or whatever it might be um, with a dodgy spotlight and a mic that doesn't work. It's, <laughs> you know that if you've got, you know, like with anything in life, if you've got full control of all of it, it should be all right if you if you graft and work hard enough. So it's uh, I, I do miss doing stand up and turning up and doing 20 minutes and then going home. But um, all of my gigs are within an hour, hour and a half of where I live. So it's nice to be home by midnight most nights. <laughs> is there is there does does running your own gig also help you be a better host than if you didn't run your own? Oh, gig? yeah. <clears throat> Without a doubt, I mean you've got a built-in, you've got a built-in risk, haven't you? You know that if you're rubbish, to start you know, when you walk on stage and you, you if you do a ten minutes of rubbish MCing, it's going to be harder for that opening act to do well. Certainly off you know for the first five ten minutes, then the audience might go, oh that first act was a bit rubbish, and then you've got the pressure after the interval of coming back on and doing better than you did to start with. Suddenly it all becomes very very stressful. So I think that if you're running your own gig it's a lot more um yeah it's a lot more enjoyable it's a lot more there's a there's a there's a lot there's a pressure to do well when you're emceeing it but it's a lot more enjoyable i think um i didn't enjoy i have to say i didn't enjoy it when i did everything so i used to welcome people at the door i used to set up the pa i used to set the spotlight up i put the seats i did all of that and that's i'm past that now Oh man, Marvin, <laughs> I'm not doing that. And I thought, and it costs again. It costs money to have people to come and do that with you, work with you, work for you throughout the night. But now I look back and think it's worth its weight in gold because I can now focus entirely on just being friendly to the guests, not stressed, <laughs> not short-tempered, and just then go on stage and be a comic first and foremost, or an MC, whatever you want to call it. And um, yeah, I'm a much better. I'm a much better MC because of moving all of that stress away and offloading it onto somebody else. But that's taken years to be able to get to that point where I've thought I'm going to spend money on getting the right people for the job to help me put on a good night. And obviously, you know, when you first start, you don't want that outlay. Um, so I did that for years and years, even to my big gigs, you know, unloading the boot and putting the tripods up and the stands and, adjusting the levels whilst the acts are on and i'm sure the audience were watching me thinking what the, the hell is the compare doing messing about with the I'm like, and the amount of people i got used to after the gig going oh you you're a lucky as well are you mate you're a roadie unloading all the you're helping them out are you i was like no it's all me everything is me <laughs> it's me i'm the one that puts the leaflets into the shops in the town the weeks before the gig i'm the one that putting the posters up in the news agent i'm the one that gets briefs the designers sends them to print i'm the one that goes on into the newspapers for the you know the adverts and the, everything it was you know looking back I, i'm pleased i did it then because i definitely couldn't do it now 
it's you know my background before all of this was i ran a marketing agency so i know what you've got to do to promote a business so i'm lucky in that sense and i haven't had to learn that aspect of it but it does put a lot of pressure at the back of your mind because you think oh no I've forgotten to put the banners up in the streets or I've forgotten to, you know, I've forgotten to email the database or I've forgotten to all these things you have to do to sell 250 tickets or whatever it might be, 100 tickets, 30, whatever you need. You've got to cover all your bases in marketing. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> once you've got all those covered, then, yes, that's a long way of answering your question. It's great. It, it makes it makes me feel like it's you know a lot more enjoyable and and, and uh, yeah, uh, good fun. I, I I really do enjoy emceeing my my clubs. But when you see a lot of MCs now and a lot of what do you kind of look for if someone's applying to MC for you? And also, what 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 are examples of bad MC and good <clears throat> MC? Well, come and watch me anytime. Um, <laughs> so the bad examples. I mean, when because I'm I've got a few doubles and triples in the night uh, in evenings now that are happening. I'll be honest with you. I turn to acts that I um, know really well that I've seen MC a lot, and whilst they're very very funny guys, I'm very quick with the audience and their interaction. They've got to be just so, so likable. Uh, compare an MC, even if, it's, if, even if, like me, it's a trick and you're actually a horrible person. Um, but as far as the audience is concerned, you've got to be friendly, affable, just a cheerful character that isn't just on stage like that, but to the audience when you're walking to the loo or going to the bar or whatever you're doing. You've got to be one of those people that the audience wants to sort of connect with. Um for a comic, you can uh, when you go on for twenty minutes, you c you can get away with just being that persona, then come off, go through the green room, out the back door, off you go. But the MCs that they're all night, you're stuck with the audience. So whenever I book a um, an act that's you know filling a gap that I can't do, it's always got to be someone that I really feel can play the role, um, for want of a better phrase, the the whole night, not just the one on stage being great, but actually just be a, be a good host for the for the for the evening yeah that that's so yeah that's so big i mean there's there's one lady who i have sometimes mc my shows called siobhan dodd and she has incredible likability i've mm. never seen it like with anyone else that i've seen mc just straight away people like oh <laughs> i mean some people have that i don't but you've got to do it for the evening and it and it, it I don't it I've had to certainly change who I am because I am a little bit sort of not introvert but I'm not with strangers I'm not the most sort of when you meet me uh, at a house party or whatever it might be I'm happy to talk certainly more since I've done comedy but I'll but you do have to really push yourself out there and be an extrovert and friendly, smiley. You know, I've had people say to me when they've come to my gigs, oh, I saw you in Sainsbury's the other day. You didn't look very happy. Uh, you know, and these are people who see me, <laughs> and they sit, and these are people who see me on comedy nights. And I always say to them the same line, which is, I'm not, I'm afraid I'm not the life and soul of the freezer section. You know, because, <laughs> because people, I mean, you know, if they know you do stand up or you're in that game, they automatically think everything you're going to say is either humorous, funny, sarcastic, or has got a quick wit 
and it can it, it can knacker you really you know my let my uh, when i was at a gig on at the boat show my calf um tour and um as i was walking on stage <coughs> walking well, as, as i was walking about on stage and um when i told people the next day and i was in hospital and all this stuff people were laughing and i was just like no my calf tour mate and they're <laughs> laughing i'm just like what's that's not funny. And like, oh, it actually tore. Like, yes, I'm in hospital now. I'm like, oh, mate, sorry. You know, just think. Come on, it's just shattering. It's just so tiring sometimes. And we've all had that. Everybody who, who tells someone that they, whether it's open mic or whatever, it's, it's hard to get that across. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> yeah. I think, but I think, I mean, you know, that that's my that's my that's my feel. I think that as a comic, you can get up and just you can get up and do your thing. Great, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it might be. But when I'm looking for an MC, that's it. It's got to be someone that can really um, be that person all night. Um, I don't expect them to come out into the crowd and start, you know, <laughs> making friends for life. Um, but if they're seen and if they're you know around for the evening, they've they've got to be something a bit different. I think. One thing I've seen, and this is a few character acts, um, like, oh, what's his face again? Really lovely guy. Howard Smith, when yeah. he, like, he doesn't MC as Keith Platt, he just does a set. But if he MCs, he plays himself. He just says it's a lot harder, and it's like, a, yeah. I, the only person who I've heard that's a good MC as a character is President Abunja. <laughs> Everyone else, that like, I hear that if you're going to MC, you do it as yourself. Yeah. I can't imagine. You see, Troy Hawk does a lot of audience interaction. Uh, Angelos Epithemu, he does a lot of audience interaction. Um, it must be so hard to stay in character because you don't know what people are going to say, and you have to be such an expert in 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 your your yourself in your character that you've created. You have to have every every possible outcome covered you have to have such a natural affinity with that character i think to be able to freewheel like that it's hard enough when you're just you because you know i'm sure you're the same when you're on stage you're sort of yourself but you're not really yourself when you're on stage not really it, it is a slight tweak of your own persona or an exaggeration of who you are you know i'm i i grew up in a very working class very working class area and i do up that more when i'm on stage um wasn't intentional but now I realize looking back it is I'm a little bit more um a bit more like that um and I think you you get in you tune into that naturally over time to find your own persona when you're on stage but as a character to just go out into the audience and just talk and have that answer in character to come back to what we were there I couldn't do it I can't imagine I can't imagine how hard that must be to keep your brain in that gear all the time. Very clever. I, I remember I emceed once. So long story short, I play, if I'm doing a set, I went to the clown school in Gaulier and I did a bit where I did this Spanish gibberish and did certain tasks and it went very well. Yeah. So now I come up on stage and if I'm doing it, I play Zora. But I do it quite poorly because, you know, I'm a Chinese looking guy. Uh, the accent doesn't sound right. <laughs> Um, and if when I try to MC as that character, mm. it creates a weird atmosphere afterwards. Whilst it does get laughs, but it's awkward and it's strange. Yeah, 
and I don't want to do that. Whilst if I MC it myself and it goes well, it creates a nice, light feel and people feel welcome and it's great for the acts. But it may be funny when I interact yeah. as Zorro. <laughs> it's hard for someone to follow it and yeah. it's a bit, bit, or oh, it's a bit awkward and strange, the, the, the yeah. thing, even though it gets laughs. Yeah, I guess as an MC, you've got to sort of disarm the audience, haven't you? You've got to disarm them and make them feel like they're, 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 they're totally at ease. Is disarm the right word? Maybe not, but make them feel totally at ease and comfortable and naturally ready for whatever might come up on stage. So, so I guess that it might be because they're just a little bit sort of unsure of what's happening with your act that's making them sort of think, yeah. I, I don't know if this is what's is this is this right? What's is this what's is this what the night is? Is this what we're and and then someone else comes on a total gear gear change to maybe a straight stand-up, for example. And they're like, oh, because I sometimes get carried away. You may or may not have noticed this. I've got verbal diarrhea. I sometimes get carried away when I'm on stage, and I'll just talk to someone and blah, 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 blah. Won't do any material, which is a comics nightmare for an MC, really. You've got to try and get the audience a little bit adjusted to a joke um, before someone comes on and does 20 minutes of them. And I'll just interact, have a laugh, and then bring on an act. And I think, oh... I really should have just got them a little bit more tuned in to what they've got to expect for the next 20, 30 minutes from the act I'm introducing. Um, if you can get a really big laugh out of something, that's fine. But it, it, a lot of comics will say, oh, it's nice if a MC will end on a joke before they bring someone on or do a couple of jokes before they bring someone on. Um, it's uh, So, yeah, I think maybe that's probably, I think, as a character... <laughs> often it's a little bit tricky to stay in character when you're interacting and freewheeling like that but yeah your job as an MC is to obviously get the audience feeling relaxed and and ready you know even if they've not laughed absolute barely laughs you're making the room chilled and but but with enough energy that you know let's have a great night and a great laugh um but yeah, you'll find your you'll find your little. If you do, you enjoy doing. Do you enjoy doing Zora MCing? Um, or does it make you feel awkward as well? No, I just enjoy having a laugh with it, getting on stage and making people <laughs> laugh. That's why I still do it. Is this? Yeah, I, I like. Yeah, I, I don't enjoy performing as much as me anymore. Okay, but when I put on a show, mm. I like the feeling of them having a good time. Yeah. That's why, why I still host as me. Yeah. But um, I notice when I MC a Zorro, it gets a bit awkward. <laughs> so that's, I, that's why I've sort of stopped doing it. But people have suggested maybe I could do it in the second half. But yeah. A Zorro, yeah. the first half as me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely, um, you know, the stories of... Um, Peter Kay, who, who he, he would he when he did a lot more MC, obviously a lot more MCing, um, he'd come in in a lion costume or whatever. But you know, there were loads of acts over the years that would come on later on in the show to, to inject some energy into it. You know, um, do mix it up a bit. I think in in the past in Christmas shows in my big show, it's about five hundred seater um, that I've been going for about 10 and a half years now i've come on in the second section with those um for the christmas show with those 
they're like trousers that make you look like you're on the shoulders of a snowman. Do you know those ones? <laughs> you know? Oh, and it's yeah, obviously it's Christmassy and it's silly and it's a bit more festive. So I guess it's a bit more of an excuse for me to do something a bit daft because that's not typically me. And when I'd MC, but um, yeah, I wouldn't come on. Yeah, I think you've I think you've nailed it. I wouldn't come on in the first section and with something of a curveball for for a for a straight crowd. Obviously, if it's if it's if it's marketed as a um, a crazy night of some description then why not but i think for a straight stand-up night yeah first up come up and you know give them ease them in gently and then yeah second section why not live it up with something a bit different yeah that's true try it out i i think i will but maybe it may be a bit later on in the second half but i do find that in the second half once they relax so much more like i've Mm. seen most acts they seem to perform the easiest spot I've seen in a lot of shows is in the second half, beginning of the second half. Oh yeah, it's a sweet spot, isn't it? And that's—I mean—that's historically always been the case. It's, I think, um, that's why you put your tryout spot in the middle um, for all the big clubs. That's where they put their their tryout act. Um, I think it's because you've had like a—they've had the drink, one more drink. They've they've. They've seen how the vibe is, the how the night's going to pan out. They've had that first act, the MC. You know, they've had a wee um, in the interval. They had a little catch up, and uh, yeah, it, it, they're just a little. Then and then, obviously, the final section could be very tough when you're closing a night because they've had another drink or maybe two more drinks. They're getting a little bit tired. Or even bored, dare I say, or just they've, they've seen two comics. That's enough for them, and they want to get off, but they're going to stay. And it can be a little harder, but yeah, that middle, that middle ten or twenty minutes is usually perfect. Usually, usually, yeah. <laughs> I, I find that it's if 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 someone maybe they've had a bad night, but it, it does often tell me a lot if I should book them for other shows. If they don't do well in the sweet spot of that, yeah. because I've oh, yeah. seen so many people do well in that bit. If yeah. you're not doing well in the easiest spot of the night, oof. but maybe yeah. you've had a bad day. I don't know. I haven't seen your. I think that's a good indicator. Yeah, I think so. You're giving them the best chance, aren't you? That middle bit, that is the best chance you've anyone's going to ever have of doing their best. And the problem is, of course, when do you move them to open? Because that is a whole different ball game. And as you said yourself, you know, if the MC has an off moment um, and doesn't do exactly as well as he usually does or she usually does, and it's okay, or the audience are a little bit tough, and the last time you booked that act, they did 10-minute middle spot and smashed it, and now you're moving them up to a 20-minute opening, what a responsibility. And I've seen that transition fall on its ass. I've just seen, you just went, oh, no. You know, they say, yeah, yeah, I've got 20 minutes, and they haven't. They've got 14 minutes if they talk slowly. And it's, it, you, you've, you've, you, you're going from that sweet spot to quite a responsibility at the beginning of the night. So, yeah, you've got to really, you've got to really, um, really, I mean, you've got to see that middle act, smash it more than once. Smash it every time, and then move them onto a, the opening 20. God, Gamble. you must have some horror stories of like I, I noticed that the, the most annoying part of running and emceeing it is mm-hmm. when someone does badly for a longer spot, and oh. when you've had it like for the opening spot do badly for twenty minutes, 
and they exploit too badly. How have you felt about that? And how have you recovered? <laughs> oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, touch wood, and it's awful, I know, to say this out to the industry, but I only tend to really book acts that I know. You know, before I ran so many clubs, I've been gigging on the circuit for a decade. And, it, you know, now it's like, well, I'm having to stretch my net a little bit broader. But generally, I book acts that I've gigged with at some point over the years. So you know that if it's a bad time, it's probably there's something else going on. You know, if someone's not hitting the hitting the points in their set, there's something happening in the room somewhere. There's something not quite on with the audience and it's you spend your 20 minutes trying to assess what the hell's going on like i said with the light with the the white room it just the audience feels a bit more exposed um and so they're not comfortable in the room much but yeah oh yeah, other gigs when i've had to go on after old acts have died it's uh you feel sick really i think that's the only way you can you know it's to be honest it's worse when you mc like an absolute dog and ruin them ruin it and don't bring on you bring on an act who then does really well because you're up there and seeing thinking well this is a tough crowd i don't know what's going on here and then the axe goes on and smashes the roof off the place and you think <laughs> oh my god i was awful and then you i've had yeah you know, I'm, I'm sure i've had it quite a few times but i've had it one memorable awful time for spiky mike actually you mentioned and i was filling in for him where he usually emceed um every gig and i turn up and i was on the, i was on a roll i was loving life i was having a great time gigging and emceeing and i went up and did all my usual spiel and thought i was going well no not at all absolutely hated me and i brought on i think it was andy askins he absolutely ripped it and then i had to go on to a crowd who basically wanted my head and um, I, I was sat in the interval thinking, oh, I just feel sick. I've got to go on after this. And they're all having a lovely time chatting and having a nice interval and a drink. And I'm going to have to ruin it by standing up in front of them for another five or ten minutes. And it got easier. And they eased up a little bit on me. But, oh, God. I think you can recover from an axe not doing well. But you can't recover if the MC's rubbish all night. It's very difficult. The MC has got to be the real cornerstone of a gig. It's, uh, he can, he can, or she can, or they can, you know, hold a whole average night a lot higher in everyone's estimation. If, if that, if that person can really come on and really light up the room, they'll go away loving the night, even if the acts did an average, an average, um, uh, delivery, yeah. um, for whatever reason. It's, it's such a critical part they play and un underrated, I think. Um, by many um, MC, you can't, you can't have it. You cannot have a rubbish MC when I run a gig. You just can't. It's just, it's just deadly, deadly. Like we said, you know that person. Like, like I said, with the people I, who, who I get to come and do, my, that person has got to be someone that everyone's looking forward to seeing come back on stage in a minute. <laughs> so they're probably loving obviously they're loving the comic that they're watching that's the key of the night after all it's a comedy night it's not an mc compare night um but yeah they mustn't be thinking like they were that night for me at <laughs> spiky mike thinking oh god that tubby bull bloke's coming back on in a minute and uh what a letdown <laughs> oh dear makes you feel ill just thinking about that night that was years ago as well probably about six seven years ago maybe more than that Ouch. What did you do? Did you just introduce the axe? Boom, boom, boom. No, because I'm I'm deluded, totally deluded. So I was felt ill 
having to go back on there. But I thought, I can, this is, it was so odd. It felt like they'd all had a chat beforehand and said, you know what? Spiky Mike's not here. I just, should we just really make it obvious that we're not happy that Spiky Mike's not here? <laughs> I was just asking questions to people like you do. One word answers or just grunts or just looking at each other with their answers. And I'm thinking, what's happening? And it's, you know, we've all had those gigs where you, do, where you go and do your 10, 20 minutes and you smash it on the bounce, three or four gigs, and then out of the blue, you just get swiped from, you know, and just knocked sideways because you have an awful gig. And you think, I've just had four gigs this week or this month that are absolutely brilliant. Why has that just gone horribly wrong? And you know you're due a bad one, don't you, when you have a run of good ones. And uh, I was just having that moment where I was having such a great time that month, and then this just came and really made me realise that I felt, you know, I was not bulletproof and it was so sad this is pathetic i've not told anybody this before i just bought a new car when you for me and loved it and um i parked outside the venue (laughs) this is pathetic but to make myself feel better i made sure i left at the end of the night amongst all the audience so that they could see that i was good enough to be able to buy a car Because I thought with my performance, they'd probably thought, oh, he's bound to be on a bike or or just, I don't know, sleeping on the streets. This guy's so bad, he can't afford anything. How has he even got clothes? And um, so, yeah, I just I slowly <laughs> just walked down with everybody thinking, I'll just let them see that I, I've actually got a car. Um, that's not a, not a junk heap. That's so shallow, isn't it? But that's how bad I felt. I just wanted them to know that I wasn't a total abject failure. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's a it's a secret snippet for you there, Marvin. All right. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, you're you're. It's it's a lot of ego bashing in comedy. It, it's it's the biggest. Um, and there's a lot of. It's a bit like what's it called? Have you watched that podcast with Guy Ritchie and Joe Rogan? Uh, oh, I've seen bits, I think, just on the socials, but not 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 dived in too much. There's this bit that I'm trying to sort of program into <clears> me, <throat> and like, there's a bit that I really find interesting, but it's very difficult to get into it. It's all well saying you should do this and that, but when you, you get in an angry or tough moment, it's hard to put in practice. But he always puts into like being the master of your own kingdom. And I try and play that in, like he says that the world out there is going to try and tell you who you are, and then you're you've got a be inside and tell you tell yourself who you are yeah. but then i try and put that but then i'll have a bad gig and like, oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's just so many variables aren't there that change the outcome of any situation you're in in life so there's always going to be a curveball and, but, and that was mine i think but yeah i think there's there's a big thing especially in the circuit as well like, i see a lot of comics that i know like friends of mine really having their ego damaged because they won't get booked by certain promoters. But, oh, yeah. I, but I look at them and say, look, you're a good comedian. You know you're good. Stop letting it, like, you're putting your... I don't know, I just see some of it a bit like you're on the corporate ladder and you're, you're trying to win the approval of everyone else and you're, mm-hmm. you're putting everything there. Whilst you, you should put, are you a good comic? Know that. If you're making a lot of people laugh, and you know, just some cunts won't book you, some will. <laughs> That's it. What's, what's the big deal about it? Like, it eats you alive, though, doesn't it? I think and, you've really, you can't, certainly in the early years, 
it really does kill your ego when a promoter just won't book you or they book you for a tryout and you do really well and then they still won't book you it's like oh my god what's going on and i think when you get when you feel that you're a little bit more resilient and you're maybe a pro act then that change i mean you still have those promoters that won't book you but it changes a little bit to being that one person with his arms folded in the audience who won't laugh you know and you've got 99 people laughing and that one is just staring at you and i think that's the that's the that's the new promoter who won't book you when you're a famous act or a, that that one person in that order there's always somebody and i always I always pick on them a little bit if they're like that because people around them know that that person's a miserable sod or they didn't want to come out or, you know, whatever. Um, they're, they're the designated driver. So, yeah, it's your ego. Our egos are so precious, aren't they? Me, in this game, without a doubt. And we can't help but obsess over them, over the people that don't rate you. I always found it very painful when I did a gig for someone that I felt went really well, very well, and they still didn't reply to emails. But I'll be absolutely honest, I have had acts who have done well that I've then not gone on to book. It's just got to be, there's just something, you know. It's not just the, I think it's 90% what you do on stage, but there's other little bits along the way that make a, a great comedian. And that is, you know, reliability, that likability to the you know off stage, uh, um, to professionalism generally. There's other things, you know, and sometimes that remaining ten percent, you can you know really, really uh, disproportionately outweighs the other ninety. It shouldn't, but I think that a lot of promoters will say, yeah, they're great, but they were late or they, they were. So they said said something to somebody or they did this, they did that. Lots of things, just like in any industry, like an impact on it. So I look back and think, well, I, yeah, I did smash it for that promoter, but he probably just didn't like me. Yeah. It's, if we're just human at the end of the day and he just thought, yeah, James, he's a right tool. Um, and didn't maybe didn't even like that I did well on stage. Do you know what I mean? It's, it just You can just grind against people sometimes um, without realising it. But, um, yeah, our egos, very, very delicate do you do you find that very diff that one of the hardest things to manage is being a booker and like when you get because you must get a lot of requests for for max and like you've got to be very careful about how you communicate things mm. and you've got to be yeah as you said we're very precious yeah i i mean <clears throat> i actually don't get approached much compared to a lot of my comedian or promoter pals i know some promoters who get bombarded and maybe i've got a reputation for being a bit of a dick and that i don't book people that i don't know because i think maybe I've, i don't know why because it's, it's it's weird that i know promoters who've got maybe three clubs and they get dozens of emails or or facebook messages a day uh, and i just don't um and so I'm lucky in that sense. But yes, it's very, very, very tricky to reply to an act um, that I've looked and don't think I can book or don't have a gap for them or whatever. The answers, the answers are, you know, so important because I remember some 
I remember, I think it was Ealing Comedy Club. I don't know if that's still going, the, the original one. It was about 11 years ago, so I'd only just been going for about a year. And, I, and you know, when you're first starting, you're, you're emailing everybody, aren't you? Can I have a gig? Can I have a gig? I don't mind. I'll do it for free. I'm good. I'll do 10 minutes, five minutes, one minute. Let me just come and do a gig. And this reply came back. <laughs> have you looked at our website? Have you Ooh. looked at the caliber of comedians that we book for this club? Go away. And when you're at that level, get back in touch. And I just remember feeling like an inch tall. And I looked on the website and I, the funny thing is I looked and I saw a few people that I knew, but as in I'd gigged with, they were, they were going into the pro circuit. And obviously I was just a, a, a measly little new, new kid on the block of the open mic circuit a little bit. And um, so I thought, well, Hey, I know that person and I'm, I'll gig with them the other day, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Does it? It, it, if they've done a thousand gigs and I've done 150, it's, there's a world of difference. So, but that you know that sort of approach is just a little bit harsh. There again, he might have been getting dozens of emails a day. You see, I don't know how that feels. I would probably explode, not at the person, but <laughs> mentally having to handle constant messages wanting gigs. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, it's very tricky when you're booking pro acts. If you're trying to fill a 500 seater theatre or venue, you've got to get a name. You've got to unless you're willing to spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds on marketing, you've got to get somebody that they'd recognize um, off of a TV show. And I have to half the time go out and say, Hey, I'm after a, an act who's got a profile, maybe off of Mock the week or the Apollo or comedy central, even something like that. Could you get in touch um, or, or replacing an act that's had to pull out, that's got profile. Can someone get in touch and I'll get people in touch who, who don't who don't have a profile, which I get because you've got to put yourself out there and you've got to go for gigs that we'd never get anywhere if we didn't try and strive for gigs that are slightly out of our reach. Usually, you know, we all do that in in any job we got. But how do you reply to that? Because you you can't reply to that without it sounding like a I'm a dick and b hurting their feelings because they're not a profile that's gonna satisfy the 450 people who are there to see someone who has a profile do you know what i mean it's 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 such a tricky job to actually not to make everybody think you're actually a decent human being when you're a promoter because you've got to make decisions and calls and reply to people who that might suggest that you're not a decent human being mm. <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard juggling act but uh, and i haven't found um how to juggle yet <laughs> Is it a bit like being like a really attractive woman that gets hit on all the time and then knowing how to deal to <laughs> polite, politely? Well, I guess, I guess it, I guess it's a, that's a good analogy. It's just, uh, I mean, I, but I'm, but I'm an attractive lady who's not getting hit on enough to give me the experience of how to give them knockbacks. <laughs> 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 so I'm just, I'm just stood there in my heels at the minute. Um, I'm pleased that I'm not getting hit on all the time um, and uh, getting more drunk. I don't know. This analogy is going wrong somewhere, but um, it's... Uh, I'm yeah, getting in trouble now. Good... I'm, I'm going to get cancelled, James. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, 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 I think you nailed it. it uh, the, the, it's so important to try and sort of keep communicating and keep talking to people, but it's, yeah, the ego. The ego is a tricky one for all of us, I think. Yeah, that bit scares me, even yeah. with some... 
yeah, I'm I'm bad at that. I'm I'm the devil for that. I mean, the problem is, it's we're all precious, and we're doing a job that is so hard when to for our own mental health. You know, like we've already touched on, you're not quite yourself when you're on stage, but when someone says something in the audience or heckles you or something, it's so hurtful. But you've got to carry on, and you can't let it show you that it's hurt you you know it's so we're so fragile we're putting ourselves in such an exposed situation on stage on our own in front of it could be hundreds of people there's going to be someone in that that audience that hates you even if you're smashing it so you're so exposed and we've got such egos as well i know people don't like to talk about it but you know we're basically standing out there saying hey i'm the funniest here so give me your money and have a listen I know it's, you know, and and so it's such a pedestal that we put ourselves on and put such pressure on ourselves. And then with that ego, we're just putting ourselves out there to say, let us know if you don't like it. And they do, you know, someone will say, I'm waiting for the comedy to start, mate, or whatever they say. And you think, oh, God. And then if you're a character act, it's even harder, but you've got to keep going. You've got to keep in the zone, keep trying to be funny and then come off into the green room. And gently sob to yourself. <laughs> do, what, do do you prepare like beforehand to get sharp? Because I know Ben Vandervel says that he does all these exercises to get sharp to deal with all sorts of things as a host. I mean, he's got he's got skills. I'm, I wouldn't say I was I was I'm not a, um, as much of a scientist um, about it all that as he is. Um, I find that if I overthink it, I'm not as good i'm quite like not thinking about it and walking out there with the excitement of what is going to happen in my head um he yeah he i mean i know he's done i think he's taught even taught people hasn't he and mc and stuff um i've been intrigued as to what he does but i personally i like to just go out there Sometimes I'll have something topical that's at the back of my mind that I might bring up throughout the, that opening 10 minutes. Um, but no, I like to be just, I just like to jump out there and see what happens. Hmm. I I did uh, work, so I, I've spoken to, I've had uh, Danny McGinley, who wrote that comedy article on how to MC, And I also interviewed Stevie Gray, who wrote an article on that. Right. And I went to a course with Ben Vanderbilt. He said, like, what he does is he compliments the audience. So he mm-hmm. loves bombs them, and then he picks on an attribute, and he plays, like, an assumptions game. Okay. So, like, you mentioned before, like, you mentioned, like, this is my son's room. You don't mention all of that. Yeah. And then what you said, that you make assumptions. Like, oh, are you a kid's entertainer? <laughs> What's the bet? And then he says, uh, he gives, yeah, he plays assumptions, gives a compliments, and he describes a character or something to someone. Yes. For me, I look. Someone called me like uh, tech support. For yes. Yeah. 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 I got the jacket. I got the glasses. <laughs> I got the moustache. Like Freddie Mercury married a tech support or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And he's. You didn't mention a bit about heckles, but he does a lot of exercise. Like you point out items in the room. Uh, you point what it's not, or you point the first item, the last item. And that's to get sharp. Um, like Danny McGinley said something about 
he wants to find out who the characters in the room are. So he gives <clears throat> the audience three cheers. Seen live comedy. Um, are you from out of town? This is the first time he's done those things. And he mentioned one little thing also in the, in the podcast that was quite interesting. Like, I can't remember what question he asked, but he, he said something on question, who's from out of town but doesn't want to say? And then he gets the, the, someone to point the other person out. Okay. And then he picks in a person picking on the other person mm. to engage with them. Oh, yeah. Good trick. I mean, I, it, I'd be fascinated to see how, because all those things you say are things that I totally am aware of that you do when you're emceeing, when you've emceed a lot, they just happen. But to have someone who's actually identified those is is uh, is very clever because, you know, you don't even know what you're doing when you're emceeing for years and years, but it happens to be identified by by Ben um, and, and taught. It's just brilliant. I mean, it's the 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 trick i've got is if you end up with a tool in the audience who's being a bit of a knobhead um the best way to disarm them usually and i'll be absolutely honest it's usually a bloke usually is to talk to the other half is to talk to the partner or the friend because they're usually the quieter one who's a little bit more sober or a little bit more sensible and you can get quite a bit of mileage out of that because they will then disarm the, the idiot um, by uh, giving him a dig or saying something that's derogatory or something. And, and they'll be a little bit conversant as well. So that's a good way to, because then when he starts talking and he's being an idiot still, she or they next to them are saying, shut up. And, and you say, I'm talking to them, mate. And it's given the focus away yeah. from the idiot. It's quite a nice thing um, that I've discovered along the way. I mean, obviously most of us want to run a mile when there's an absolute idiot in the audience, but um, if you've got to keep, keep going and that's sometimes quite a good little trick um yeah i one thing i i'm 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 bad at dealing with the hecklers so i'm putting a lot of work into trying like at the moment i'm doing something stupid but i'm trying to remember all the insults or ways people are trying to attack me and put me down mm. and then try and find the flip side to that and then yeah i mean they it's good to have those things and there's a lot of cliched responses that we've all got in a desperate situation at the back of our minds. You know, can we get this guy some colouring in, please, to do? Because I've got a show to get on with. Or, you know, I'm in the middle of something at the minute, mate. We'll talk later. Or um, whatever it is, it's those are like emergency ripcord sort of <laughs> phrases that a lot of people throw out. Um, personally, I find that the most cheerful upbeat positive smiley uh, sort of quick um mcs are the ones that get heckled least you know i would imagine that ben doesn't get a huge amount of heckles um you know most of the mcs that i know actually that do it professionally probably don't get a huge amount of heckles because if you're up there and you're lively, it almost makes people feel, oh, I don't want to ruin this. You know, if, if it keeps going and you've got energy and you're happy and jolly, um, it's, it's, there's some MCs that, are, that aren't that. I don't know how they do it because I could only do it with energy. I can only do it animated, jolly, cheerful. The MCs that get up there and, yeah, they're friendly enough, but they just stood there. I just think, wow, they're great because I can't be that brilliant without 
faking it with some energy and some movement and some life and soul on the stage. Um, you'll always get hecklers and someone will hit you with something out of the blue. I did that, that one, that comment I just said, you know, back, it was only a few weeks ago and I was talking and we were having an absolute ball. I was, I was really enjoying myself. The crowd were having a great time. And I got talking to these three brothers and we had, uh, and the, the youngest brother said, Oh, what do you do? And he said, Oh, I'm a boat builder. And I said, Oh, what part of the boat are you working on at the minute? And, it, and I, I reeled off a few technical terms of boats. Anyway, I'm, I'm working on the outside. I thought, well, <laughs> don't get too technical, mate. Um, blow us with your complicated phrasing. And we, it was just a, a fun. We were having a bit of bit of banter and fun interaction. And it's, it's, the middle brother was. We had a good laugh. And and then the, I think it was actually the younger brother. I said, "Oh, um, what's your story, mate? Would you would you do?" He said, "I'm just waiting for the comedy to start, mate." And you just think, oh, come on. We had some real momentum there. Everything was fine. And I mean, luckily, because the audience were having a good time, they're all aside and they're all like, ooh, and, and just laughing with me. And I was laughing because I just thought it's, I think it's just find it hilarious. Um, if, but if you're not having a good time and that, that phrase comes from the audience, it kills you, doesn't it? Just, oh, it's just a blow to the, the heart. Um, if you're having a great time, you can laugh it off, but ouch. If you're really struggling and that comment comes from the crowd, you just want to go home. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what well, I mean, what do they say it? Do you know what I mean? It, what's the point in that? It's it's just a, it's just and, and we've had you know we've had that line has been thrown to all of us over the years. Um, I just think well, they're just trying to be the funny one, aren't they? But it's most of the time people look and go, shut up, mate. What are you doing? <laughs> Still hurts. Well, one of the things, I think we mentioned it a bit at the start, but yeah, there are a lot. They're, 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 most people who come to the audiences are pretty nice, but there are the odd tosser. And we're looking mm. at that. Yeah. But... <laughs> It's, as long as they're not a, a, a workable tosser, but not a, not an unworkable tosser. Yeah. I mean, the, <clears throat> I had a, a gig, um, I think it was very rough, just a few days ago, and they, they were all, there were tossers, you know, the crowd. <laughs> there was about 19 of them. And when I walked in, you just, my heart sounded like, oh, no. But when they sat down, good as gold up for a laugh the right sort of tosser you know <laughs> and that's what you want a room full of tossers but 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 they're ready to listen and laugh um you know I, there's a gig uh, i think it was towards the beginning of the year first first of the year in this particular venue uh, in the middle of a little village and i looked out and there was a load of shouting happening in the front row and then three guys had moved their chairs from the back to go on the front row next to all their other mates and i was like oh no and I was sort of talking to the acts backstage going, I I'm sorry. Well, I mean, we're just about, I can't, we literally got to get going because you, the opening act was doubling. And I said, I, I can't really do anything. <clears throat> and then and she, she was like, oh, just fine. Just, you know, we'll deal with it. And I said, I know, I'll do what I can when I'm, because I was emceeing, obviously. And went out and they were absolutely mint, absolutely beautiful uh, um, audience members. Once When the lights went down, I went out, they were on it perfect and it was just you just never know you just do not know 
what grade of tosser there is. <laughs> and as I say, I don't. I love a tosser that turns up and just was like, I'm ready for a great night. But they want to be the life and soul until the lights go down. That is perfect. But if they want to be the life and soul when the lights are down and you're on and the lights are on you, <laughs> they're, oh, it's awful, isn't it? Yes, yeah, Why have they paid the money? Ridiculous. <laughs> now, with a lot of comedy gigs and like both of us been gigging for a while, one of the main things, especially in London, that happened, there's a lot of bringer gigs. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I, I don't think there's many down south, down <clears> south <throat> coast. I don't think that, no. that virus has come in yet, but <laughs> eventually it may happen. No, <laughs> but with comedy gives a whole you wrote some an interesting article on like how to promote a gig and one thing that really intrigued me was a bit about you saying putting flyers in takeaway shots because a lot of people go there yeah and like I, i'm a bit and you said something about them selling it for you i don't know mm. i feel a bit iffy of them like saying i'm not going to do an accent because that would be racist <laughs> so i'm going to do an arnold schwarzenegger accent to be okay they say come on uh... <laughs> <laughs> a boss, I will sell you a ticket, <laughs> <laughs> and then they keep the money. <laughs> I, I still put flyers in takeaways now. I still do it, even for you know, where even for the same club that I started eleven years ago. Still go out, put the flyers out. Uh, got a festival this summer over three days. I will still go out there and put a wadge of flyers in all the takeaways. I think what I probably meant by that is, um, again, I'm repeating myself, but you're you're that person all the time, you know, not not the life and soul of the freezer section, but when people see you in a Chinese restaurant or in a takeaway or whatever it might be, you go in and go, oh, hi, can I leave some of these? And they go, yeah, yeah. And say, thanks very much, mate. Um, you hope to see you there. And they go, yeah, great. What is it? And you show them and talking about the acts or whatever. If you go in and just go out, mate, and just off and you're gone, they think, oh, that's a bit, who's that bloke? What's this? And they look at the leaflet and think, oh, he was a bit weird, wasn't he? And it, you just, you can't be how you want to be, is what I'm saying. You know, if you want, if you, if this is the hundredth place you've put a leaflet in, keep positive. Keep, you just never know whether that next person you pop some leaflets into is the one who's going to bring 10 people or be your most regular customer in 10 years time. And they come to every show. And I still, I run one at Spinnaker tower, which is like the most obvious venue in the whole of South coast. Really. It's a huge, big, massive hundred meter high pointy Spinnaker. And I still find people who live in Portsmouth who don't know we do a comedy night there. And that's 10 years in. And I'm like, where the hell have you been? Because we're there every month. And I put leaflets everywhere. It's all over socials, in the newspaper. It's everywhere. You just don't know who that next person is that you're going to put a leaflet to. So you've always got to be, you know, um, on your game. And you don't know where putting a leaflet is going to get you a punter. So, yeah. Definitely. I'll, I'll make sure. I think what I meant was make sure you're selling. You know, you're always selling and you're friendly and you represent the club when you're in front of people giving them some leaflets. So, yeah, you, you've got to make sure that they because you don't know, especially hair salons, for example. You know, they're, they've got a pile of leaflets. 
I I not only put leaflets down, but I'll give them a leaflet at the desk and go, you might want to come if you want to, you know, great comedy, blah, blah, blah. And then when they're cutting the people's hair for the rest of those next few days, somebody will bring it out and they go, yeah, I saw a leaflet for that. You just don't, you know, it's a, it's a sales thing, but it's, you've got to always be that sort of compare MC for your night when you're putting leaflets out, if that's something you decide to do. I don't know how it works in London. Do they put leaflets out everywhere? I don't know. Uh, I think most of them don't. Uh, but there's uh, the, the big clubs in London, the ones that are new that have set up that are going really well, like Vauxhall Comedy Club, <coughs> yeah. they, they, they're all on social media. They're doing amazing. They do yeah. a lot of Groupon deals. Okay. Of, um, but I do. And I yeah. do a lot of fly. I just shove a lot of leaflets through the door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another... I have done that, leaflets through doors, certainly in the early days. I think uh, it has its... I mean, we get so much junk now through the doors, don't we? But social media has obviously taken over a lot, you know, paid paid posts and stuff, and obviously Instagram and all, and and, uh, and TikTok and whatever to promote things. But I still think the full marketing mix is very valuable. You never know what you might be missing. You know, I, I for the festival that I'm doing end of July, people who've got prime location fencing or bushes on busy roads. I'm asking them to get in touch and I put banners up on their bushes, on their fencing, on their walls, and they get a couple of tickets in return for putting a massive eight foot banner <laughs> on their on their fence for two months. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but but some people are lovely. They come to all my gigs and they go, Yeah, I'll put one up, James. And you just think, wow, it's on a junction where 150 cars pass an hour. You know, it's it's worth its weight in gold. You've got to think of every every angle. If you're gonna do it. You might as well bloody do it, eh? You know, if you're going to run a gig, don't run it and think, well, if someone comes, brilliant. Don't put a poster in the toilets and a Facebook event and then think it's going to be fine. Make it, make a smash hit of it, you know? Make it an absolute, you know, success story and really go for it. And it might it might be a, the next best thing that you've ever done. So I just think if you're going to go for something, go 100%. Go in. Yeah, go for it. One of the things that I want to ask, so you worked in sort of like, a, say, digital sort of digital sales, did you say? Or <clears throat> no, marketing, marketing, marketing agency. So we, customers would ask us to come and, you know, create identities, images, um, brochures, you know, come and design um, and market um, products or services. And, and we put together, you know, a campaign. We put together the, the leaflets, the posters, the websites, the, all the, you know, the branding, you name it, really. And uh, I loved, I loved from a young age, I loved the idea of having uh, that sort of umbrella managing everything for a business's identity and its image and the way it's perceived. So I think that's why, you know, when I'm seeing someone in a chip shop and giving them a leaflet, I'm very conscious that that is the first time they've ever experienced comedy all-stars or whatever it is, my, my comedy club. That could be the first time. So you are the brand from that minute. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's where it all kind of harps back from. Love it. What what, what are the so starting in like a marketing background? What what were the like three or five things that equipped you with before you became comedy promoter? Oh, crikey. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, it's that's a tricky question, mate. It's I think that the um, I think what we've just touched on sort of really covered that. I think the people don't realise the importance of every single part of your business even if you feel like what you're promoting or marketing is a comedian that you've got coming on stage on Friday night that's not where it starts and ends you know so whilst it seems you might be over egging the pudding a little bit if you're a comic and you're thinking I want to put on a local night in the function room above the pub it's not about when that comedian walks on stage it's how you are at that door taking people's tickets it's how how comfy the seats are or how positioned they are it's how the vibe of the room feels it's even how the pub is downstairs or how easy it is to park or how you answer the phone or reply to an email it's every single thing so my you know i that's my transferable awareness if you like from the marketing days don't ever think that there is a part of your business you can get away with being a bit shoddy or a bit average because people will find that one particular chink in the armour and they'll use that to not come back to your gig. They'll use that as an excuse to say to their mates, I don't want to go to that anymore. The toilets were really grubby or whatever. <laughs> ah. You know what I mean? It's, I've had, I had a one-star review um, uh, for my gig because the bar queues were long. And, and I just replied and went, it, it, did you enjoy the did you enjoy the comedy? Well, yeah, but, you know, 20 minutes to wait for a beer, mate. Um, I just think, oh, God. So someone will find something to justify why they don't want to come again. So you've got to make sure that whatever you're doing, don't give them that, don't give them that opportunity. It, it seems a lot, doesn't it? When all you want to do is make someone laugh. But <laughs> if something sours it for them, then... Uh, yeah, everything unravels your 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 plan. Before we, so we'd ask one more question, and that'll be it. What what is it's your all address? So serious, what is your address? It, what is what is your address? <laughs> <What about jets? laughs> no, yeah, guys, it's one three one. Yeah, come on over. Portsmouth. <laughs> yeah, it's James Portsmouth. Um, yeah, gone are the days where you could have put that on an envelope and it would have reached me. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all go. So this is a this was a heavy one, Marvin. We got we got serious, didn't we? Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's it's isn't it funny though? The irony. It's, it's such a serious conversation about something that is just is all about laughter. It's, uh, but you know, you've got to take all those serious things into account, I think, to make the laughter really work. So, before we go, I'm going to ask a sneaky question and I'm mm. going to pay you five pounds for each point, okay? Uh, oh Christ. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give me an hour. What, uh, what, uh, what are some gorilla, gorilla marketing things that you use to get an audience that people often overlook? I know a lot of people now, they think if they just get a big name or do a lot of Facebook ads, that's the majority of the effort I've seen in yeah. London, some of them, or they make it a big issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the massive thing for me was get their email addresses. 
whatever it takes. When I first started my biggest club, I charged, I gave away two tickets and a signed poster of the act on the night if they paid a pound for every entry they made to this draw. And on the draw, they gave their name and email address. <laughs> so I was being paid to have their email addresses. <laughs> it was just, it seems bizarre now. I mean, they still do it now, but you've then got a usable database that they are approving and they're ticking and saying, yes, you can have my details to contact me in the future and all the usual legal jargon. Um, but they want to win free tickets. They want to win a poster of the night that's signed maybe by somebody that's relatively well-known. And that is so valuable because in the, you know, we're getting bar um, barraged, aren't we, with social media all the time, TV, internet, you name it, constantly. If you can get an email drop in, yes, again, everyone gets emailed loads. But it's a bit unusual these days. You know, my spam seems to come through the socials more than anything. Um, but if you can get an email that says, you know, and the cert and the title is comedy tonight or comedy next Friday, they'll open it up. It's a well-designed email, well-put-together email. Um, it's worth its weight in gold, I think. So don't ignore what I consider to be old school now, um, an email database from your punters. Get them to sign up. Tell them you'll send them some special offers. I think it's a great one. Um, what else? I mean, there's nothing really unusual, I don't think, about anything I do these days. Back in the day, maybe it was. But I think uh, just don't underrate every angle uh, of keeping people happy um, when they're at your gigs. It's, uh, yeah, email database. And, uh, yeah, just get out there. Don't think they'll come to you. What? So this is something that I've tried, and this is maybe a... But I've tried... I do a text marketing. I don't take oh, yeah. down people's uh, emails. I, I text them. Yeah. That's a nice one. I, I mean, it's... And they give that they give that to you? Yeah, I ask them, could I take down your number? And then I put it in. And then I go out for dinner with them. And then, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's what's being a dodgy light. That, no. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. It just when I send an email, it, a lot of the times, but when, I, when it's through text, I get, uh, I don't know, it seems that, or if I give them a call, that seems to have, have a bit more of a stronger effect in getting them to come to the gig. Yeah, I mean, I think the marketing mix is there to cover all the bases, like we've already said. So, But there's nothing like catching people off guard with information about a gig. So that's a good way. I mean, maybe not. I wouldn't probably call anybody, but a text. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hiya. Um, but no, it's a text. Great. Anything that can make them go, oh, did you see that? It's just, a, you know, that, I mean, in the old days, it would have been a plane flying through the sky, dragging a dragging a sign behind them you know saying no oh, it's the so-and-so festival this weekend and you see it in the sky it just it's a memorable way to get people's attention i guess that's the key still these days some unusual way that's going to get their attention is the best the best way um um so yeah yeah just keep trying to think of original ways to get people's attention but always make sure that you put the date of the gig and the way to buy, how to buy tickets on that. 
the amount of times that I post it, I think, oh God, I haven't put the bloody date on. And you know, it's just <laughs> the simple stuff that can really make your promotion fall apart. People are simple, aren't they? Well, and I am. Yeah. Just, or you could do what Frank did to to Pat Butcher in EastEnders mm-hmm. when he tried to get her attention at a door. Wow. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might get arrested these days. That's true. <laughs> Depends where you put the the, the flyer. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> oh God. Yeah. yeah. How do how do people find out about you? I don't think they'd want to after that bit. Um, <laughs> oh dear, I don't know. I mean, I'm on the old uh, socials. I tend to this is this is stuck. This is haunted me now. I put my socials are comedy James, right? But now, whenever I do local promo, all local news presenters or whatever call me comedy James. I sound like some sort of sideshow from a Butlins or something. But I'm not. That's not what I go under. It's not my hat. That's my you know twitter and facebook and stuff company james um but don't call me that in the street <laughs> just james is fine well, uh, in fact most audiences don't think it comedy is relevant to my name either <laughs> uh, yeah that's how you track me down but um yeah don't send me any gig offers <laughs> <laughs> I don't want them. No, uh, it's if I know you're great, you know, let's hook up. <laughs> it's such a negative angle, isn't it, for a promoter? I don't want to hear from any comedians. <laughs> oh dear, no. Yeah. This is the joy of it. There's so many gigs now. Do you, you feel this? It's really thriving. Our yeah. bounce back, hasn't it, after lockdowns? Just buzzing. The whole, uh, the whole industry's buzzing. It's such a so overdue after the hardship we all had over those few years so it's 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 just a lovely time so there's so many gigs out there um yeah just uh get out there and good luck and enjoy the show guys okay yeah don't think overthink everything the promoter's done in the background to allow you that 10 or 20 minutes on stage (laughs) don't let it bring you down don't get upset about it maybe help out once in a while um (laughs) don't overthink it just have fun (laughs) Okay, so you know where to uh, get in touch with James. I've given you his. I'll give you his address as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you. I'll give you the pub that he goes to. Uh, <laughs> the address of all his comedy shows. <laughs> yeah, do that. That's fine. Ticket links. <laughs> uh, you know where to go. If you like this podcast, give it a five star view on Amazon or iTunes. Um, subscribe. Um, yeah, I'll see you soon. I, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to get some comedy promoters and bookers from other countries and see what see what see what what views they say. It'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cheers, mate. You're a legend. Well, but um, uh, bon 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 journée, everyone, which means good day in French, and I'll see you soon. <laughs>